Please rise for the reading of God's Word from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 through 58. Hear now God's Word. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. I'm going to ask for you to indulge me this morning in a sort of parenthetical pause in the middle of this series on foundations. Today's sermon is related to that subject, but it is a bit different. And so maybe think of this as swinging into Bucky's for a rest stop. Um, Calvin Coolidge was president of the United States from 1923 to 1929, and he was known for his quiet demeanor, which earned him the nickname Silent Cow. There's an apocryphal story about him. Once his wife was ill and stayed home and the president went to church alone. On his return, she asked him what the sermon was about, and he replied, sin. What did he say about it, she said. He was against it. (laughs) Well, as I read my Bible, I find a great deal of talk about sin. The law of God sets the highest standard. In fact, it is the very standard of perfection. And sin is any deviation, even the slightest deviation from that standard. From the opening chapters of Genesis throughout the entire Bible, we we read story after story after story of how sin affected individuals, families, and entire societies and nations. In other parts of Scripture, we have long lists of sins, along with instruction and admonition and corrections and rebukes and warnings and even threats as it pertains to sin. In fact, it is hard to find a page in the Bible that doesn't address this subject at some level. And so as a pastor who is committed to setting before you the Word of God, I do believe that it is my obligation, if I'm to be faithful, to set before you the holy, righteous standard of God's Word, which means that I, like the Bible, will talk a lot about sin. Occasionally, I hear a complaint that there's too much talk about sin, And while I'm not aware of ever talking about sin without also talking about the grace of the gospel and the mercy and the forgiveness and the redemption of God, I do understand that holding the bar high can be discouraging. It makes us feel bad, and we want to feel good. Now, let me be quick to add, I am not complaining about the criticism, because frankly, I feel the same way. I have asked myself many times what to do about this. Perhaps I could minimize the talk about sin and 
place more emphasis on the happier parts of the Bible. But when I think that way, I immediately worry about going down a slippery slope that leads to a watered-down gospel or no gospel at all. It has happened. It's happened in our circles to hopefully a lesser degree. Joel Olstein comes to mind for the most extreme example. As a young man, I especially liked sitting under the preaching of a, of a pastor named Al Martin who thundered the Word of God and often left me with a strong sense of conviction which motivated me to want to change. I remember hearing him preach to a group of Southern Baptist pastors, about 300 men in Memphis, Tennessee, founders group. And it was all preachers, pretty much. And I remember there was a moment in in that sermon when I think nobody in the room was breathing. It was that powerful and that poignant. And I liked that. I found it very effective for me. I was personally mentored by Dr. Greg Bonson, the author of Theonomy in Christian Ethics. I am a strong believer in the abiding validity of every jot and tittle of the law of God. And yet, I am also thoroughly convinced that the law of God is all about love. It is about the love of God. In fact, it has been a hallmark of the institution and instruction from this church. The law is given because God loves us. And our obedience is always to be the product of our gratitude and love for God and never, ever the cause of either our love or His love. You've heard that a thousand times. Without preaching on sin, often and hard, there is no gospel. There is no good news. If you've got, a, if you've got the sniffles, then get some rest. If you have a terminal illness, you're going to need a radical solution. You're going to need some good news. And so the culmination of every sermon that deals with sin is to point to the glorious and gracious work of God through Jesus Christ. The apex of every worship service is to come to the Lord's table having seen and realized that we have fallen short and to remember that Christ has gained us the victory over sin and the Holy Spirit has empowered us to leave this place and to go forth and conquer. I think this summarizes the last 19 plus years of preaching and teaching in this church This is our heritage. This is our foundation. But here's the problem. A couple of weeks ago, I had this thought. Randy, this week, I want you to live up to the standards that you regularly set before this congregation at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. I want you to pray and study and witness the way you have taught others. I want you to treat your wife and children and friends the way you have instructed others. I want you 
to show hospitality and work and handle money and serve and be disciplined, I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the biblical standard. You know what my next thought was? No way. I'm a hypocrite. I can't do that for a day, much less a week. So how can I, your pastor, stand up here week after week and call on you to live according to this impossible standard when I fall so short? How can I do that? Everything I attempt is tainted. So does that mean I can only hold you to my standard? Can I only expect you to do what I do? Should I lower the standard to make it attainable so that we can all feel good and get a blue ribbon? I realize that every last one of you fall short of the Bible's standards every day. I'm here to tell you, like President Clinton, I feel your pain. None of us can ever come close to reaching, much less clearing the high bar of God's perfect law. In fact, that was one of the points of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how bad that must have made people feel? All of our struggles are sin-related. It's either our sins or other people's sins. Yes, you and me, you are a bad person. You and I are only relatively good people when we compare ourselves to other bad people. In other words, we're good compared to a bad standard. There is only one good person. And when we compare ourselves to him, we fall short. Now, that was the problem. I want to talk about solving the problem. Now to our text. God himself knows us. And he knows that we fall far short of his standards. And that he is not going to lower his standards just to make us feel better. He wants the law, the text says, to sting. And that leads me to this first part of the sermon text. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. We have to start there every time. John Calvin observed, The strength of sin is the law. It is the law of God that imparts that sting that imparts to that sting its deadly power. Because it does not merely discover our guilt, it even increases it. 
makes it clearer. In other words, a, a clearer exposition of this statement may be found in Romans 7, 9, where Paul teaches us that we are alive so long as we are without the law. Because in our own opinion, it is well with us. And we do not feel our own misery until the law summons us to the judgment of God and wounds our conscience with an apprehension of eternal death. Farther, he teaches us that sin has been in a manner lulled to sleep, but is kindled up by the law so as to rage furiously. So when we bring God's word, it inevitably stirs that up. It shines a a spotlight on us. And we run for cover. Over and over the Bible sets before us the high bar of God's righteousness. And over and over and over we fail to reach it. And that's why the sermons will continue to unapologetically proclaim that standard and will not move, move that standard at all. Moreover, when we try to dodge it ourselves and justify ourselves or make excuses, neither the scriptures nor the preacher are going to participate. Hebrews 4, 12-13, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But neither God nor I want to leave you naked and exposed. If we stop with the standard, if all we have is the law, then we simply have to stop with the conclusion that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So God knows all about you and me. He knows way more than our outward failures and sins. He also knows what's on the inside, the intents of our hearts. It turns out that God does want us to feel good. And so he's done what we can't do. And we could never do. He's done something for us. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Actually, he's done many things for us, none of which we can do for ourselves. He loved us, sent His Son, convicted us, granted us repentance, gave us faith, showed us grace, forgave our sins, adopted us, gave us the Holy Spirit, placed us in His church, gave us His Word, gave us ministers, gave us a family, is conducting work, uh, is currently working in us, has given us eternal life, and we could expand this list for a long time. He did all that for you. For me. We couldn't do that. None of it. That brings us to the second part of today's sermon text. But thanks be to God. Remember the sting of death with sin? 
The law exposes that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I were slaves to sin, and apart from Christ, we have no hope of ever, ever breaking free. And so you might say, but this is just the way I am. And you'd be right. But that is not the way you have to stay. Tell me, is anyone left out of this list? Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you find yourself in that list anywhere? Because they're all in there. So I'm sure you've at least coveted. I know you're guilty of idolatry because you've worshipped yourself. So that's the way we were. But something big has changed all that. And the next verse says, here's the Bible, dealing with sin, very detailed, but it's immediately followed with this. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's a big deal. Jesus paid the ransom and set us free. Nevertheless, we still walk around like we're still in chains, but we're not. That's what he saved us from. Now, for the first time, there's real hope. Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, is that you? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's not a platitude. That's not just a quaint saying. That's the actual truth. Again, Calvin comments, But Christ has conquered sin, and by conquering it, he has procured victory for us, and has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hence it follows that we are no longer lying under the power of death, Hence, although we have not as yet fully dis- full discovery of those benefits, yet we may already with confidence glory in them, because it is necessary that what has been accomplished in the head should be accomplished also in the members. We may therefore triumph over death as subdued, because Christ's victory is ours. God gave us victory in Jesus. Perhaps it's baby steps at first. As Peter describes it, like newborn babes, we long for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, the old carnal man has died and you have been made new. Of course, the transformation doesn't come all at once any more than adulthood can come to a child in an instant. Remember, God knows our frailty and our failures. And here's the good news. 
He still loves you. He still loves you. Even his chastening is born out of his love for us. God isn't angry with you anymore. You hear that? All of his wrath was poured out on Jesus, and what's left for you is his eternal affection. He adores you. You know, I had two different bosses when I was younger at a retail store in my 20s. One was harsh, demanding, gruff. Nothing was ever good enough. He always seemed to be angry. Everyone worked when they saw him coming, and everyone shut down just as soon as he left. Later, we had another store manager that we loved. He had very high standards. And people wanted to work for him. We even worked when he wasn't there. Because we wanted to please him. That's our God. Are your sins a burden? Then the scripture says, cast all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. Here's what Jesus says to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're like me, then you're extra sensitive about your sins, and you don't like God or the preacher or anyone else poking around where it hurts. But the point of the probing diagnosis is to find a remedy. And I am convinced that many of us, including myself, not only don't like the diagnosis, we really don't even like the remedy either. You know why? We don't like the remedy because it means we don't get to fix ourselves and we don't like to relinquish control. That reminds me of a story C.S. Lewis wrote about in Mere Christianity. He said, let me explain, when I was a child, I often had a toothache, and I knew that if I went to my mother, she'd give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she'd give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she'd take me to the dentist the next morning. I could, get, I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting quite a bit more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took a mile. Well, God has started a work in you and me, and there are times when it is uncomfortable. The Apostle Paul found real encouragement in the fact that God was at work. I am confident, he said, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
For we, he says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is God up to? He says, and we know, Paul does in Romans 8, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We've got the road map. That's what God is doing right now in you if you're a child of God. He's still going to set holy standards before you, as I will. And we will all still fall short. And we will all still feel very bad about it. But we may never stop there. We must always conclude with, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the light of that truth, listen to what John wrote. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot, who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And this brings us to the third part of the sermon text today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now that we have been set free in Jesus Christ, the Bible says... There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're like me, you say, yeah, but I was awful yesterday. I mean, worse than awful. How can I go to God? Well, we were worse than awful to start with, and God came to us. He's the only source of victory, so go back to the source. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, I just did that yesterday. I did it a couple of times yesterday. Yeah, I will do it again. I don't see, a, I don't see an expiration date on this. I don't see a, you know, you get to, get to do this five times and you're done. We get a do-over. Mark, we get a mulligan. In fact, we get a bunch of mulligans, golf players. As the recipient of such amazing grace, what we've been given, described in the Bible as the riches of his grace, of his his ill-deserved favor, all we have left to do is give thanks. Lots of thanks. And then go to work. He's already done the hard part. He's already removed all the barriers between us and Him. 
2 Peter 1, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We come then to the very last part of this text, which tells us that our gratitude is now shown by our working to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our labor without the Lord is vain, empty, worthless. Our labor in the Lord is never empty. So this was not an apology for preaching about sin, but a recognition and a confession that I am among you as one who regularly falls short and who must always stand on Christ's righteousness alone. I plan on going after sin wherever I see it, because sin still separates, it still destroys, and it still kills. And so I'm just going to keep on telling you to stop it. If you're sinning, I hope you feel bad about it. But I hope you feel just bad enough to go to God and confess it and get cleansed from it and then be thankful enough to get up and claim the victory over it in Jesus Christ. And from there, your gratitude to God will be seen in your increased hatred of sin, the sin that separates you from God, and your newfound desire to please the one who loves you and whom you love. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for setting your perfect standard of righteousness before us, for revealing yourself to us through your law. Thank you for telling us the truth about ourselves and for exposing our sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us of our sins, for we have too often made friends with them and grown comfortable with, with or callous to them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for gaining the victory over sin and for giving us all the benefits of that victory. Help us, O oh Lord, to rejoice in all of this, which is our great salvation, so that we might show forth our deep gratitude by being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. I'm going to read our text again from 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 58. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In all of these sermons on the foundations of our church, there's really nothing new. I'm setting before you what we've clearly been teaching and preaching and hopefully living uh, for nearly 20 years. Moreover, this, standard, uh, this stands in the heritage of the Reformation. These are the things we want to preserve and perpetuate for future generations. This is not a community of oppressed people, but rather a community of liberated people who have much to celebrate in Christ. God is our friend and father. 
N.T. Wright made these comments on 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 58. I found them quite good, as usual. He says, but his main point is clear. Through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, God has given us the victory over all the powers that drag us down. He will give it to us in the future, and he is giving it to us here and now. The truth he has been expounding, the truth of the resurrection of the dead and the transformation of the living, is not just a truth about the future hope. It is a truth about the present significance of what we are and do. If it is true that God is going to transform this present world and renew our whole selves, bodies included, then what we do in the present time with our bodies and with our world matters. For far too long, many Christians have been content to separate out future hope from present, present responsibility, but that is precisely what Paul refuses to do. His full-bodied doctrine and promise of resurrection sends us back to our present world and our present life of bodily obedience to the Lord in the glorious but sobering knowledge that if there is continuity between who and what we are in the present and who and what we will be in the future, we cannot discount the present life, the present body, and the present world as irrelevant. On the contrary, it is a matter of the greatest encouragement to Christian workers, most of whom are away from the public eye, unsung heroes and heroines, getting on faithfully and quietly with their God-given task, that what they do in the Lord during the present time will last will matter, will stand for all time. How God will take our prayer, our art, our love, our writing, our political action, our music, our honesty, our daily work, our pastoral care, our teaching, our whole selves, how God will take this and weave its varied strands into the glorious tapestry of his new creation, we can at present have no idea that he will do so is part of the truth of the resurrection and perhaps one of the most comforting parts of all. Amen. O Lord our God, never let us foolishly think that any battle, spiritual or material, has been won by our own power. Remove all pride from us and give us an implicit trust in you and desire for you to have the glory. In the battles of this day, let us lean upon your arm and have true victory. Remind us of Israel's conquest of the land, that it was not by their own sword or by their own arm. You did not choose Israel because it was a nation greater in number than any other nations, or more powerful, cultural, or intellectual, but because of your great covenant love. Keep us from saying or thinking, My power and the might of my arm have gained me this wealth. Instruct our minds and keep us sober that we might hope fully in your grace. Neither let us be afraid or ashamed of the gospel, for it is the light of the world, proclaiming the saving work of the Savior, proclaiming the victory in Jesus. Bless now our time of delighting in this victory as we feast and rest in you. Amen. Amen. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.